what a week it's been. So much to talk about and so many things we can't talk about. I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. And we'd like to welcome you to Behind the Gorilla, a podcast where we delve into the wild, wacky, and crazy side of professional wrestling. Well, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another week of Behind the Gorilla with uh, me, Mark Hawken, and also Harris Wilson. And we're going, we're trending upwards. We were just talking about this. We uh, our our episodes are starting to listen to a little more. So if you're you're one of the newcomers who have started listening, we want to thank you for joining us. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll um, keep you around at least. <laughs> I hope so. I didn't I didn't know where you were going to go with that. I didn't either. Hope, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll you know we'll 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 spend some time in your phone. I don't know. <laughs> hopefully, we'll entertain you. You were like, no, just hopefully. Hopefully you're here. Yeah, thanks. Hopefully you haven't turned it off yet. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and I hope you guys like our uh, new little intro there, our um, wonderful homage to Southball Regional Wrestling, one of the greatest wrestling shows of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I think that I, I found that clip again, and I figured it was perfect, so I put it in the episode last week, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna keep pushing that forward because I I think it's hilarious and it makes me laugh every time I hear it. He everything he does is just perfect <laughs> in that show. It's it just is. the it, it, is. it perfectly captures the spirit of what we're trying to do here, which it is just does. this overwhelming sense of Oh goodness. Okay. Yeah. I'm telling you, I always forget that John Cena is one of the funniest people ever. And he's probably the funniest person ever in wrestling. And he doesn't get enough credit for that. He's he's so good at what he does, dude. He really is. He's hilarious. So um yeah I like I like adding that on there because it's perfect. There's plenty of stuff we can't talk about. So that's that you know it, it's very accurate. Yeah, and we have a lot to talk about. At least I hope I hope Harris does. I've got a good bit. I've got a good <laughs> bit. So how do you? Uh, this is almost I would say it doubles as a preview show, except you don't know or care what's going to happen at Elimination Chamber next week, do you? Is that that's next week? That's next Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it came up fast. To be honest, I didn't know this past week was the first week I didn't watch anything from Raw or SmackDown in a while. I've at least gone back and skimmed through the episodes pretty much consistently since the you know the week maybe before the Royal Rumble, and then this past mm-hmm. week I was like, I I don't I don't care, and I just. I kind of saw some stuff and was like, all right, that's good. And then I didn't, I didn't watch it. So I, I really, I'll watch it. I'll watch Elimination Chamber just because it's on the network, but I don't care. No, it's a stupid match. It's a stupid match. It was stupid from the beginning, but at least it was kind of cool when it was still in the, you know, ruthless aggression era and still TV 14 and you could actually do violence. And then now it's just like, it's the same thing as Hell in a Cell, same thing as Extreme Rules. Like, what's the point of having these matches? It was See, just what's the point? And the now they put now they put padding out all over the, the 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 chamber. They started doing that last year, and it was just like, okay, I understand that the, this is very painful for the wrestlers, and they don't want. I understand, but then don't have the match. Don't pansify it by making it now look just ridiculous. Well, see, I know, I know, we typically like all internet wrestling fans hate. When they name a pay per view after the stipulation, like it just kind of oh, waters my down gosh, the, yes. the need to have these matches and all that kind of stuff. I don't hate 
that the Elimination Chamber has kind of become this weird second-tier Royal Rumble in terms of setting up the WrestleMania card, just because, like, hear me out on this. Like, the fact that the stipulation doesn't matter as much when you have it every year, that that's still sort of true. And I get, like, okay, there's padding in there now. They've watered down the matches. They aren't as good as they used to be. I can understand all that. But I do kind of like that, like, whatever brand doesn't win the Royal Rumble, this is, like, the next step. Like, it's not, oh, here's the entire locker room fighting for a title shot. But it is, okay, well, we're gonna we're not going to give you the whole locker room. Not everybody gets a title shot, but we're going to take the six best people on this card. And we're going to stuff them into this way tougher, in theory, in kayfabe, way more bloody, in theory, in kayfabe match. And you have to go through that route to get a title or the title shot. I think that sort of works. I kind of like the symmetry of like January is the Royal Rumble and whoever wins that gets a title shot. And then whatever brand doesn't have the Rumble winner, you look at Elimination Chamber and that's what's going to set the stage. Like, I think it's more just because WrestleMania is coming up, so everything sort of matters. But I have a softer spot for Elimination Chamber because there are always immediate implications than something like Hell in a Cell, but it which is never... just in the middle of nowhere. Well, yeah, that's true. And none of it matters. But but it never matters. Like, the Elimination Chamber stuff never matters because you already have the storylines in place because you can't build up a storyline in four, you know, four or five weeks or whatever. Although, I, for WrestleMania, they stretch it out a little. No, there's another pay-per-view, isn't there? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's Fastlane, right. too. <laughs> yeah, you can't do anything in this time period. So it's just like these two pay-per-views are complete wastes of time in general because you you know, you're already have most of your stuff building up to the Royal Rumble. So then you have these, these pay-per-views, and it's just they're so obvious for the most part. It's either obvious or dumb. That, that, right. That's well, the it's kind of like so, there's one example. There's one exception to this, and and there's been some decent uh, elimination chamber matches. Don't get me wrong, and, and some cool moments for sure. But there's one moment that actually was incredible in building up to WrestleMania, and it was in 2010. 2010, leading up to WrestleMania 26, Shawn mm-hmm. Michaels had just lost the Royal Rumble. In an amazing moment, which I was there for live. And then, you know, so now it's like he has no chance of facing The Undertaker. Because The Undertaker is the world heavyweight champion. So, you know, he's going to be in a title match at WrestleMania. And then in the Elimination Chamber, Shawn Michaels comes out and costs Undertaker the title. And that then builds up their WrestleMania match. And it was awesome. That's the one That's the one example that I can think of where Elimination Chamber actually benefited something. Yeah, that's exactly the one I was thinking of too. That is by far the best example. It's kind of, it's the same problem. I think it kind of depends. Like right now I'm looking at the card and like the SmackDown match is Daniel Bryan defending his title against Randy Orton, Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe and Which Mustafa I'm ex- Ali. I mean I'm excited about watching just cuz all those guys are great. Right, but it's it's the same problem that you have when there's a title match at the Royal Rumble, which is, right. well, they're probably not going to change anything. Right. Yeah, They're that's probably going to ride this champion out until WrestleMania. Like, I, I think we've just become so used to that, and that's part of the problem with being, like, an internet wrestling fan, as you know everything that's going to happen, it's like, six true, months in yeah. advance. And, and, the, and then, you do. But, but usually it's either you know what's going to happen, or when, when it's something you didn't think, it usually means it's really dumb. Right. 
Right, exactly. Like, like, it's rare that you're surprised for the better. But, like, I would like... Like, there's a few title so changes better. that happened. Like, you know, The Rock won the title at Royal Rumble against CM Punk, right. and that was a, abysmal. And then Bray Wyatt won the title at Elimination Chamber, what, two, three years ago? And that was abysmal. So it's like, even the stuff where it has happened, it's usually not good. Right. I mean, like, I would just... I would like this match so much better if it wasn't for the title. If it was like I was yes, drawing it yes, out yes, earlier, yes, yes, they yes, say, yes. like, whoever wins this gets the title opportunity at I WrestleMania. Agree. Give it some sort of stakes. But anyway, sure, we sure. say that, we're all going to watch it. Oh, wait, yeah, you know? sure. Now, I don't know if I'm going to watch it live. I probably will. But I'll I definitely will. I'll definitely watch it. Just the network makes it too easy. What else are, I mean, you know, what else are we going to do? But like, yeah. no, I know, here's the thing. The Bailey Mark that I am, I would normally be really excited about her and Sasha going for the women's tag titles. And that's in an elimination chamber yeah, match. Which makes which, no sense. It, it doesn't. It's just kind of a way to stagger it. It's you dumb. know, that's, that should not be in an elimination it. chamber. That makes no I sense. Think it's, I think it's fine. I just I know in my soul that they are going to make it to like the last two and then get screwed oh, and well, like lose course. to the Iconics or It'll be Nia the riot Jackson squad. Because why would you? Why would you give the two super popular baby baby faces a win? Why would you ever do that? Right. When you can have someone stupid like Nia Jax win instead. Right. That that's you know? literally Vince McMahon's brain. So yes. Well, and Nia Jax is going to beat Dean Ambrose at WrestleMania. So get ready for that. Just brace yourself. It's going to happen. <laughs> I, I still have oh, a little man. bit more faith in WWE than that. But nope, I, not. I I, I do. But barely. But I, barely. If I could put money on it, I probably can. I haven't looked seriously <laughs> into it. If somebody were can. to email me a link where I could immediately bet money on it, then I would. Yeah. I, I almost they're already adver like they had they've had different spots over the last few weeks. They're right. already advertising it for house shows. Right. I think they're gonna it's just gonna be it's not because Vince thinks there's a future in intergender wrestling. It's just going to be a big old middle finger to Dean Ambrose on his way out. And Maybe. a middle finger to all of us. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. It's I fine. hope not. It's fine. Wrestling's fun. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So now it's time for us to go in to the actual show. So now it is time for Harris to give us his topic. All right. Well, uh, I, I, I think this one might be... This won't be like a two-hour epic, so rest easy if That's you're in a hurry to listen to something else. But I, this is something that I actually brought up, I believe, last week and didn't intend to do for my episode. You know, I have a couple things in mind every week, and I ended up watching this pay-per-view um, sort of like, not by accident, but literally just because one night I was like, oh, I haven't – you know, I want to see more old pay-per-views. Let me check this one out. Right. And I realized that it was time. This is something that's kind of been in in the back corner of my mind for this show for okay, a while. Okay. And watching it unfold live, immediately, I knew this is what I had to do. So I'm watching this pay-per-view, and I'll explain a little bit more about which one it is in a minute. But the moment I knew that this was, in fact, what my episode was going to be this week, there's, you know, the opening video package where there's like a patriotic theme because of this specific pay-per-view for what it is and then there's you know little video clips of everything you're going to see coming up in the night and all that kind of stuff and then you know the show itself starts the pyro goes off the camera pans around the crowd because this is you know this is this is fairly modern this is the early 2000s 
And we're greeted by Michael Cole. And Michael Cole says, after four years of hiatus, the storied tradition is back. And you're looking live at Norfolk, Virginia. And the crowd's going crazy. And they all have their signs and they're waving and they're screaming. I miss So Michael Cole is here with Taz at ringside. And here in the arena, the ominous cement mixer that could be used (laughs) to bury Paul Bearer in a crypt of concrete if Undertaker does not do the right thing. Wow, that's uh, that that's a little uh, vague. <laughs> that's quite a hook for a wrestling show. <laughs> well, that's it? a great hook. Is there a better hook than that? Uh, someone might no. die if someone doesn't do something that we don't really know. Right. Well, it worked. It worked for me <laughs> because I was like, "All right, yes, I'm in." Like, not only the fact that this is happening tonight, apparently, but that's how you pitch it. That's how you start it. Not with like in actual wrestling angle, you know, it's to be fair. I mean, a man's life is on the line tonight and we're going to, we're going (laughs) to kick right off with that. So (sighs) this is the story of the great American bash in the year 2004. And when certain parties in wrestling attempted murder, not for the first (laughs) or last time in their careers, but one of the more what is, hey, and I'm going to take a pause for a second. So so basically okay. we're going to go Harris is now two episodes in a row where his whole topic revolves around someone dying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, That's just, the book. Just, we're just going <laughs> to Exactly. All right. Perfect. Well, and I guess technically last week too with uh, mine with talking about the Undertaker being mm-hmm. put in a casket and I guess he died. We still don't know exactly what was going on, but okay. A little, okay. So yeah. so we got so a theme is, going on. We got a theme where three weeks in a row now. Death. Death. Right. Right. Well, this is the this is not even the first time. I'm glad you pointed that out. That Undertaker has gotten into some sort of uh, supernatural life and death sort of shenanigans, right? And I mentioned this last week, kind of in this same theme. But this is right around the time where a few years before this, uh, Biker Taker, the the more human, you know, kind of. Wow, you uh, really, biker, you really just guy. made that sound really stupid. No, I think it's a fair point. He's a normal guy. He's not like the undead Undertaker. Right. It's called character. it's called the American Badass. Right. Well, which sounds way he, cooler than uh, he's Biker Taker. If okay, <laughs> if my tone is any indication that I think Biker Taker was kind of stupid, you're it's one I of the only Biker ones to be honest, stupid. which is kind of funny. What? You're one of the only ones who thinks that. Yeah, well, I think part of it is because I never, I was never watching it. I wasn't. Either. I've always been introduced to Undertaker as the Undertaker proper, not right. the Undertaker in his midlife crisis phase, like riding around on motorcycles wearing a bandana. I've just, I've never, like, I get that he wanted to do it, and it was probably a nice change of pace for it him. It was, it was one of the best decisions that he's made as a character. How well, how glad- long could you do undead weird thing for? You can't do that for. 20 years straight you you gotta you gotta put you gotta shift gears for for uh, for a couple years there and then come back to it well i respect the hiatus at any rate because right, it right. gave us this awesome moment where for he's sure. killed off literally killed off kane betrays him he's buried alive yep he's dead and then he's gone for a few months and then he redebuts for a match with kane at wrestlemania 20 yep as the undertaker and the it, you have the music and the smoke and mm. the druids mm-hmm. and the that's a great moment one of my favorite moments in wrestling that entrance one of the best parts of that is when the lights go out and the first thing you hear isn't isn't you know the bell ringing or flames or anything like that the first thing you hear 
is a disembodied voice going, Oh, no! And the crowd goes <laughs> nuts. Because that's the voice of The Undertaker's longtime manager, confidant, friend. Supernatural vessel? I don't know. Yeah, you know, possibly like father-in-law, stepdad. It's never. There's a lot going think, on there. I think he's the this father the... of Undertaker and Kane at one point. Right. At one point, I know he was the father of Kane. At any rate, we are talking about <laughs> the man known very creatively as Paul Bearer. Yep. And as soon as the crowd hears that, they go nuts because they realize that this is the true Undertaker. Old school, dead man walking, he's back. And Paul Bearer is a huge part of that entrance. He walks out, he's got the urn, which has always been, um, I guess, the totem, for lack yeah. of a better yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has different degrees of powers, but always some level of sway over the Undertaker, whether his loyalty is to the urn or to Paul Bearer has kind of changed over the years. And I, I didn't have time to go into the entire history of everything these two have ever done together because it's just a ton and you could never fit it all into one episode. But at this rate, all that to say undertaker is back. It's classic recipe. You know, it's classic undertaker with his good friend and confidant manager, father figure, Paul Bearer, And he's basically the only person in the world that the undertaker really cares about. At least that's how it's pitched at this point. And it's a year or two later at this point. We've sort of settled into the, the norm of this Undertaker again on SmackDown. And Paul Heyman is managing the Dudley Boys. And, you know, they go way back from their time in ECW. They have that connection. Paul Heyman is obviously a fantastic manager, and the Dudleys are just vicious. But they aren't quite vicious enough. This is in, a, this is in like mid-2004 at this point. And Paul Heyman challenges the Dudley boys, and he says, no, you need to do something extreme. If you want to get yourself out there, you have to do something. And the word he, the, the phrase he uses that they repeat over and over again on television is, you have to do something that will get your name in every newspaper in America. And the Dudleys looked at themselves, and they said, well, you know, we can't very well do that by winning a wrestling match, because that doesn't get you in the news, so... um, we better kidnap a guy, right? <laughs> that's the logical next step. It is. So that, you're right. It makes sense. So that's what they do. Um, one night, you know, you catch them out in the parking lot, stuffing a body into the trunk of their car. And, <laughs> you know, Bubba Ray says, how you like that, Paul? And slams the door shut. They peel off. And if at some point in the course of this episode, I confuse Paul Heyman and Paul Bearer, <laughs> I want you to know. I'm not the only person who did this because the first thing that happens after they stuff Paul into the trunk is Michael Cole and Taz say, oh, my gosh, they have Paul Heyman in the trunk. <laughs> They're kidnapping Paul Heyman, their own manager. What's going on? Anyway, they peel out. The camera pans down, and we see that the urn, the Undertaker's urn, has been left behind in the parking lot. And who walks up and picks it up? But Paul Heyman, and that's the moment where they're like, wait, does that mean that Paul Bear was in the trunk? And I hope that that was like a ad lib. I don't think it was. I think that was scripted. <laughs> but I like to think that one of them misspoke there and they kind of just had to cover for it. But at any rate, it's kind of a great moment just because I knew I was going to get those two confused at some point, And I probably will. So they've taken Paul Bear, and who really knows what they want? Nobody certainly not the undertaker he goes out the next week 
And he's got a match with Booker T. And he's starting to heat up. You know, he's putting those classic Undertaker moves on him. He's about to hit him for the tombstone and win. And then out comes Paul Heyman. And he's got the urn in one hand. And he starts trying to talk the Undertaker down. And the match is thrown out. I don't I don't know. I guess Booker T just ran for his life at this point. And Paul Heyman is trying to talk to the Undertaker and saying, listen to me. I have a proposition for you. Undertaker's not in the mood for any of this. Just grabs him right by the throat. Is about to choke slam him. And this is Paul Heyman at his best, right? Whenever Paul Heyman is placed in any physical danger at all, <laughs> he just starts freaking. He's just crying and begging and pleading because yeah, he's a total rat. He's just a trash human being. He's very entertaining. You, right. Oh, it's oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, and he's like, No, please, I had nothing to do with it. I swear. Just listen, you know, just groveling at the feet of the Undertaker. And Undertaker is about to lay waste to this guy. And then on the Titantron, it's the Dudley boys, and it's Bubba Ray. And he says, listen, you don't have to listen to Paul Heyman. You can do whatever you want. But Paul Bear is right behind us in this room right here. And if you ever want to see him again, I would listen. And the Undertaker stops and, you know, scowls at both of them. And <laughs> Paul Heyman says, look, I, I get it. I get it. This is This is a... Big time for you. You don't know what's happening to your friend. You want to see him again? I'm going to give you a week to join us. He says, listen to me. You can, you know that with me and the Dudley boys and your forces combined, we would be unstoppable. We would run SmackDown. And if you don't join us, you know, this is kind of the, the, the stick in the carrot and the stick of the proposal. He says, you're never going to see your friend again. I'm going to give you a week. <laughs> decide and then he leaves why don't you call the Under police that's a great question and <laughs> so many things in wrestling could be solved by that which is kind of funny which is which is ironic considering somebody gets arrested about twice a year on the show which is true too that's very true that people are always getting arrested but they're never calling the police whenever like actual police things happen I thought about this a lot in the course of this episode, and that won't be the last time that that question is asked. Okay, good. The best answer I have is that a WWE arena is just sort of like international waters, <laughs> and you can't really enforce much of anything there. If except, you do, except, it's only except when you you've can. Like, you've paid off local authorities to do it, but like strictly legally speaking, you can't like arrest or press charges for anything that happens while a WWE show is going on. That's my theory at this point because it's the only thing that makes this make sense. Right. And I'm going to keep going and just tell me if you agree with me because that this story goes on for several months. Like maybe in the background, <laughs> I don't know, maybe the FBI is like trying to figure out a way to free Paul Bearer and we just never see any of that. I, I don't know. But at any rate, the next week, Paul Heyman comes out and he's got the urn. And it's the same thing. It's, it's you know, we can run this show together, but if you don't join me, then you'll never see your friend again. And he, he holds the urn up like Paul Bear used to do, and The Undertaker kneels, and he strikes that, you know, iconic pose. That's sort of, depending on when he does it, it's either like a sign of submission or a salute, right? And in this case, it's a sign of submission. So he has officially joined with Paul Heyman, and he starts laying waste to the SmackDown roster. He's just interrupting matches, choke slamming people left and right, breaking up matches, helping the Dudleys win their matches. 
But Paul Heyman doesn't fully trust him at this point. And I think because it's like I said before, he can't tell if the Undertaker's loyalty is to Paul Bearer, who he's, you know, maybe trying to save, trying to find, buy time for, or if his loyalty is to the urn, which Paul Heyman has. He wields the urn, but he, he doesn't know if that's enough. So he's got a plan. Um, it's really a test. It's a test for The Undertaker. And he announces that at the Great American Bash, the upcoming pay-per-view, Paul Bearer will be brought back to WWE. Presumably they've been keeping him off-site this whole time. Again, okay. not really addressed. <laughs> Nobody's looking for him. There's no Leslie Nielsen in this case to try and save him. See, that, 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 that's a shame. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very disappointed. Well, I'm sure... I don't know when Leslie Nielsen died. He died maybe in like 2010, maybe? 2010, maybe? Mm, Something okay, like that. so he was still alive then. I they believe so. I could be wrong, but I believe so. Okay. Maybe Undertaker was like, nah, man, I saw what happened last time. I'm not, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I'm going to handle this myself. Maybe that's what happened. At any rate, Paul Heyman announces that he's going to take Paul Bear, the Undertaker's friend, his father figure, and he's going to place him in... A crypt, a glass crypt, which I feel like is not what a crypt is, but it's a feud involving The Undertaker, <laughs> so we have to get the buzzwords in there. Of course. He will be placed in a glass crypt with three-inch thick glass. It's four feet by four feet and eight feet tall, and we're going to back a cement mixer up. And The, the Undertaker, you're going to come out, and you're going to have a match with the Dudley boys. And if you don't do the right thing... Then I'm going to pull this lever, and I'm going to drown your friend, Paul Bearer, in cement. Um, uh, this uh, is hold, hold on, hold on, hold yes. on. I'm going I'm yes. to stop you right there. Ask a question. Okay, one thing. I, I know about this angle, but, but I'm glad you're doing it because I don't know anything else other than that it happened. Um, but I, I just have a feeling that there, are be, there would be more effective ways of disposing of someone other than putting them in a nice glass case you would clearly have to get custom made yeah absolutely. and then, I don't and then, know and then bring it to the arena then mm -hmm. find a cement mixer from somewhere and bring that to the arena mm -hmm. with filled with cement and then um empty that into said glass container i, I just i just feel like there are better ways well, if you're thinking for pure mechanical efficiency, I'd agree with you. And the only solution that I have is that Paul Heyman knows that he's not going to be held responsible for what he does. Because, again, there's no law enforcement here at all, right. clearly, because this is right. a very elaborate procedure. And it's really – it's I mean, there's shades of, like, mafia activity here. I mean, this is dark. <laughs> this isn't just about killing Paul Bear. That is this what is it sounds like, yeah. Suffer. This is morbid stuff. And mm – -hmm. The show opens up with this truck just kind of sitting there idling. So, I, like, he had to find, like, a contractor, <laughs> hire a cement truck, and I guess not tell the guy what he was going to use it for because I can't yeah. imagine how you'd agree to that. <laughs> there are a lot of questions that are raised by all of this. The there main are. takeaway, though, is that Paul Heyman is just an absolutely ruthless guy. Which knows is he's going to get away with this. And – is able to pull it off. I don't know. Like he's he's trying to get in the Undertaker's head. You know, I think what he wanted to do is come up with something that was just so horrific 
that even the Undertaker would be thrown off by it. I mean, that's the only explanation that I have for it. But okay, that's fair. Who look? Who are we to question, right? So, no, we're we're not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the the worst thing about this match, and this is something else that it has in common with last week, it, it's not a bad match. It's not worse than what you talked about last week. I was like, it's, how does that have anything in common with last week? Last week was one of the worst matches I've ever seen. Well, the problem with this match, especially in retrospect, but even at the time, is that it main-evented the show. Ah, yes, yes. And in one sense, again, I get it. This is on paper kind of the most important thing going on. Like, yeah, <laughs> WWE title, that's great. This man We have a die. guy who's going to die, yeah, so yeah. So there's, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, really selling the stakes of the whole thing. Um, at the same time, hold on, a- hold on, hold on, hold yes, on. I got to pause go you again because I just thought about it. We actually have had like four episodes in a row concerning people dying because I did a whole mat. I did the whole show on the Chamber of Horrors match back like two months ago, mm-hmm. where we got to see Abdullah the Butcher literally be murdered yeah. in the middle of a ring in an yeah. electric chair. Actually, that wasn't in order, but but we we have we've touched on uh, this type of topic. There's been a lot more deaths in wrestling, and I'm I'm not talking about the real ones, than <laughs> than you really think of. Like I don't think of, oh man, we're gonna kill someone on TV as like because you don't think of that as being acceptable like right. behavior. But, it but yet it's with... been happening for years. Well, here's the thing though. At least in most of these matches. It happens as a result of the match. Like well, legally yeah. speaking, I feel like that's almost an out. You know, like it was <laughs> it was a part of an athletic competition. There's some level of self defense there. So when like that's Abdullah fair. the Butcher dies in this like in this bizarre <laughs> kind of overbooked mess of a death match, it at least is a death match. Right. When the right, giant right. is thrown off the roof. In the aftermath of a sumo monster truck match, at least it was because of his participation in a sumo monster truck match. Yeah. This isn't a death match because Paul Bearer isn't a participant in the match. It's just a hostage situation. (laughs) That's all it is. That's a good point. That's a good point. It but takes the, problem, the it takes the shark cage suspended above the ring into a whole different stratosphere. It'd be like if he was suspended above a tank of sharks, <laughs> which I'm surprised shark. nobody's done yet. Actually, I'm surprised too. That should. Hmm. Oh man, that'd be hardcore. But anyway, awesome. the the biggest problem with this match is that it goes on after the title match, right? And it's a great, like, it's a good match, Mark. But it's a great moment yeah. because it's Eddie Guerrero. Losing his title in a dusty finish to JBL in a Texas bull rope match. And that just makes me angry just you saying you hear, that. You hear that and it sounds dumb, right? Like it kind of sounds like... Anything involving JBL makes me just angry. Well, and that was like the whole point of his character. Like, I know. I, I watched I a little know. bit of his title run after this. And it begins and he has a lot of defenses of it that are just nonsense that he only wins because it's a gimmicked match or right. somebody else interferes. He is the ultimate like chicken heel, right? Right. And and except except he's like six foot seven and like right. 300 pounds. So this whole match, I mean, it's amazing, though, because Eddie Guerrero comes out and the crowd loves him. And he has the upper hand for a lot of this match. And it's one of those four corners matches, which the only one right. I'd ever seen before this was terrible. Right, but this Mo- one's most done of them really are bad. Like they're tied together, 
and they use like there's a cowbell in the middle that they each use as a weapon a lot of the time and at the very end like eddie is going around all four corners and he hits a corner and jbl is dragging right behind him jbl hits a corner eddie hits the second corner jbl hits the second corner third corner third quarter boom boom so they're tied and whoever touches the fourth corner wins the match and the title and they keep pointing out like they did it maybe 10 minutes ago in the match and then five minutes ago at this point it's any part of your body it's not just your hand it can be your face your ankle your back whatever right and the end of the match is squared off and jbl is right in front of the corner that he needs to win eddie's pulling him back he's he's holding onto the rope holding jbl back and crawling his way up the rope at the same time like pulling himself Mm -hmm. closer and closer and finally he takes a leap dives over jbl slaps the corner with his hand over jbl's body and they ring the bell and they say oh he retained he retained and then the general manager comes out says no jbl's back actually hit the turnbuckle before your hand did it is any part of the body jbl wins the title and it's so unfair (laughs) and it's so heartbreaking for eddie Mm -hmm. and the crowd just gives him a standing ovation as he walks off alone and without his title and you're like man what a great moment to close the show oh yeah and then they're like, okay, so anyway, on to the summit mixer. We're Paul Bearer. Like, oh, no. Which is what we had last week when it's like Owen Hart, Bret Hart in the cage for the exactly. WWF Championship. Brothers who now, you know, Owen's going, gone rogue and all this stuff. And they're battling each other. It's this gritty thing. The whole family's there. And then and now we're going to have the Undertaker face the fake Undertaker. <laughs> right. It's the, right. It's the same moment of like, oh no, dear. Oh yeah. boy. Okay. Like we took we we took a very real turn into something Vince else. Vince McMahon here. put way too much stock in just the Undertaker. Just yeah. as the Undertaker. He I really think you're did. Right. But again, in their defense, at least in Kayfabe, you can sort of understand why this would be more important because it is literally a matter of life and death. Sure. But it leads to Anyway, we'll just keep going here. So (laughs) first of all, this is just something I thought was kind of funny because I watched – I didn't watch this whole three-hour pay-per-view, but I watched most of the matches in it. And this is the first we've seen of Paul Bearer all night. We've seen the cement mixer a few times, but now we finally cut to him, and he's – you know, he's just fantastic. Like he's fun to watch footage of because he's sitting there nodding, you know, very serenely, but also he just looks like he's got that crazy look in his eyes like he always does. And I just love that that's the first time we've seen him because either we've been ignoring him all night and wrestlers have been coming out and looking at him and thinking, well, that's pretty weird. Glad that hasn't happened to me yet. Anyway, on to the U.S. title match. <laughs> or or somebody like wheeled him out in a wheelbarrow before this match, like past Eddie Guerrero making his way through Gorilla. Like, excuse me, Eddie, here's the manager. We may or may not watch Die Tonight. Like either. I don't know which is funnier. But one of those two things definitely happened. So we see Paul Bear. He's out there now. He's ready. Paul Heyman has set up shop with the urn right next to the lever. It's this very cartoonish, very obvious. <laughs> Pull it down and cement starts the flowing. And the Dudleys come out. And Mark, tell me if this surprises you at all. They're the tag team champions at the time. And remember that because it's going to come in important later. And just think about what you know about how WWE treats tag teams. Right. And tag team champions, and remember that they are in a two-on-one match with the Undertaker, who is in fact okay. See, I didn't even realize it was a handicap match on top of that. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. 
who is in fact just a guy. Like he's, you know, he's a very dominant wrestler, but it's a two-on-one match. So he makes his way out to the ring, and before they lock up and begin, Paul Heyman says, all right, you know what you have to do. I have to make sure I know that you're submitting to me and only me. Lie down, do the right thing, and take the pinfall. Mm-hmm. And the Undertaker just stoic you know stone face but you know this goes against like every fiber of his being to do this of course and paul Heyman to prove he's not messing <laughs> he's, around he's no kevin nash <laughs> right exactly <laughs> this ain't this ain't no wcw which might be <laughs> i'm surprised they didn't say that by name frankly i know it's me 2004 too. at this point and they dunk on him every chance they get they but do. they didn't the paul Heyman to prove that he's not bluffing pulls the lever and cement starts flowing into the crypt, and I'm using big air quotes on the word crypt there. Right. Paul Heyman, or I, there it is, I did it. Paul Bear is shaking his head. <laughs> He's like, You can't do this to me, Paul Heyman. Undertaker will save me. Undertaker. Like, he's great. He's your, your voice is pretty good, too. <laughs> well, I've seen it several times. It's pretty it's hypnotic. Good. It's this weird combination of like ghoulish and southern. He's got a right. southern accent, so he it's does. wild. That is good. And he stops pouring the cement. His point is proven. And, you know, it's starting to solidify on his ankles now. Cole and Taz start speculating. Like, imagine what that feels like. And The Undertaker takes a knee again, sort of that, you know, iconic pose. And then he lies down. And Bubba Ray stands on top of him. And Bubba Ray is fantastic throughout all of this. Oh, yeah. Like, when Bubba Ray tells you he's going to kill your friend, you kind of believe him. <laughs> That's just, you're not – no, you're, you're, you're right on with that. Yeah, he's, he does a great job, and he stands over and he says, I've been waiting for this moment for my whole life. And then, boom, right as you call it, Undertaker sits up, choke slam, stands up, and is about to bring him crashing back down to the ground. Devon comes jumping in. It's a brawl at this point. And The Undertaker quickly gets the upper hand. Mm-hmm. And he grabs each of them by the hand. And he's about to go old school. He gets to the top turnbuckle. And Paul Heyman jumps on the mic. And he goes, bad dog, bad dog, bad dog, bad dog. <laughs> Starts screaming hysterically. And he says, uh, you know, you're, I told you to do the right thing. You didn't do the right thing, so I have to do this. And he pulls the lever again. And the concrete floods the crypt again. And now it's all the way up to Paul Bearer's belly. Mm-hmm. almost to his chest and Cole and Taz again begin speculating like imagine what that's like like it's got to be solidified around his ankles by now and if it gets any higher he's going to start to have trouble breathing he might suffer internal injuries if that concrete starts to okay I'm gonna I'm gonna put I'm gonna chest. I'm gonna put a pause in that too because I got to mention yep. this WWE's favorite thing in the entire world especially now that concussions are actually a big deal but but WWE's favorite thing in the world is internal injuries they mm-hmm. love to say, hey, dude, dude, look at the internal damage done. It's like, well, no, no, I can't look at it, Cole. It's internal damage. <laughs> like, they, they love to use internal damage because it means nothing. It means, oh, he's fine. <laughs> it's a great way because they can't use concussions anymore because you're right. like, no, that's real. Right, Those right, are right. real things that people in wrestling get. Exactly. But to, to be fair, though, this isn't like a chair shot. This is literal concrete solidifying around your body. <laughs> Which is true. That's fair. No, no, so it's, it's fair. Of all the times to use internal injuries, it sort of makes sense. And Paul Barrett this whole time is like, yeah, he's, he's just shrieking, but he's defiant. He's like, <laughs> Undertaker will save me. Damn you, Paul Heyman. You can't do this to me. Like, it's great. It's fantastic. And 
basically, Paul Heyman flips the switch back up at this point. The concrete stops, and the Dudleys have taken advantage of this distraction, and it's just it's a brawl again. And it's not explicitly said at this point, but the idea you get is that Paul Heyman is content to humble the Undertaker, and as long as the Dudleys have the upper hand, and as long as they presumably beat the Undertaker, even if the Undertaker is trying his best, hey, right. it's still one man against two, and we just want him to lose. We want him to know that he is subservient to us. So as long as the Dudleys have the upper hand, Paul Heyman kind of steps away and let lets things play out. Sure, sure, sure. At this point, this is another fun little idiosyncrasy of this match. Michael Cole points out, you know, this was supposed to be a tag match. The Dudleys were supposed to have to tag in. <laughs> but it looks like that's kind of gone out the wayside now. I don't know. And he literally says that. I love it. He had the Tony Schiavone moment. I love it. Because, the well, the re- I mean, look, the ref is being held hostage just like the rest of us. Right. What's he going to do? Enforce the rules and get a man killed? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't even – he's only out there to count pinfalls at this point. Like, he's not going to rock the boat. And it's just a it's just a tornado match at that, this point. That, no, that, that's exactly what used to happen in W in WCW all the time when all of a sudden and then the announcers just have to be like, Well, the ref's discretion, he's really letting this one go. Like they say right. that all the time. Just, but except right, except for the one that I talked about with Vampiro and uh oh shoot. Now I don't even remember. In the worst match, and one of the worst matches ever that I talked about a couple of, what was it? Oh, yeah, uh, it was uh, the Mike Awesome and Vampiro match. It was yeah. in that. Where, where literally, uh, Stevie Ray just goes, what, what is he doing? This isn't a no disqualification match. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a false count anywhere match. Like, they literally just say that on there. And then it's like, well, I don't know. The ref just, whatever the ref says. Right, they have to cover for it. I love it. No, I love I, hearing announcers have to cover for stuff because it equally makes me entertained and mad at the same time. And right. WWEs are probably the kings of that. And this is a great right. That's what Michael Cole is doing here. I, th- you know, it might be one of those things where they announce the stipulation beforehand, and I wouldn't have even noticed if he hadn't have said that, which is right. why I thought it was so funny. But at any rate, the match is going on, and again, people love to rip on Michael Cole. The commentary is doing a really good job during this match of selling just how hard it is for The Undertaker to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, because the story, they're like, how can The Undertaker keep fighting when he knows his friend might die? And the only answer they have is his competitive fire is just that strong. Even with all of this at stake, his pride will not allow him to lay down and lose a match. And it's actually like it's a pretty fun story to watch play out. If you you know you love to root for the Undertaker, and everyone loves to root for the Undertaker. The odds are stacked against him, and every time that he starts to get the upper hand, Paul Heyman cuts back in on the mic. You know, mm-hmm. so about five minutes later, he says, "Okay, okay, okay. I know you wanted to let the Dudleys earn it, and I respect that. But there comes a time when I have to assert my authority." And he flips the switch again. And he's done. He says, look, I told you one more move, and I was going to do it. This is it. We're done. He flips the switch. He's prepared to end the pay-per-view, killing this man, and just throwing the match out completely. And he's just left. Like, he's he's heading down the ramp now. The cement is filling up the crypt. It's up to Paul Bearer's throat. And finally, Bubba Ray runs up the ramp, flips the switch, back up. You know, commentary's losing their mind. Somebody stop this! Somebody, for the love of God! You know, all this stuff. It's not, you know, it's not good old JR, but they're doing their best to get there. Mm-hmm. 
And Bubba Ray flips the switch back up. And again, this is one of those things where, like, it could be way dumber, but it's completely in character. And he starts fighting Paul Heyman. He's like, look, let us finish this. I want to beat The Undertaker. We started this. We can do it. And do whatever you want to the old man after we're done. But I want to win this match. Straight up. And Paul Heyman says, well, okay, whatever you say. And he steps aside, and the Dudleys go back to the ring. And again, it's a... It's just a two-on-one. It's just a brawl. And they just use that numbers advantage to keep beating down the Undertaker. And Undertaker keeps battling back. But, again, the, the concrete's all the way up to Paul Bear's throat at this point. But Paul Heyman's not going to do anything else. He told him he'd let them finish the match, and he's going to. So he's watching from a little bit away now. He's, he's standing on the ramp, right? And commentary's continuing to sell the injuries. Like, imagine how it feels to feel that concrete solidify around your chest. He's probably having difficulty breathing. All this stuff, you know, doing their darndest to just absolutely sell it. And the match, it, it, it's been really boom, boom, boom up until this point. Like shifts in momentum and a little bit more cement here and there. And it kind of drags for another few minutes. But ultimately it ends exactly the way you think it would, which is Undertaker overcomes. He beats both the tag team champions because <laughs> this is WWE, then now forever. Nothing changes. And it's a it's a choke slam to Bubba Ray, and it's a tombstone pile driver to Devon. One, two, three, and the Undertaker wins. And he looks at Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman says, "I told you to do the right thing, and now you know what I have to do." And he turns to the switch to finish off Paul Bear. And what do you think happens, Mark? I I think that the Undertaker comes running down. And grabs Paul Heyman by the throat. He choke slams him onto the ramp, just with one hand, punches through mm-hmm. the glass. It shatters. Everything runs out. And then he grabs Paul Bear, holds him, you know, like you would, like you know, your your wife when you're walking inside the house, and, and carries him off into the back. Okay, you're you're close. Um, <laughs> a lightning bolt hits the switch. Actually. <laughs> Blows Paul Heyman across the floor. He's shrieking, crawling away in sheer terror. He probably crapped himself. I don't blame him. Because a bolt of lightning went through the arena and hit the switch. Completely, I just terrifying stuff. Paul Heyman sells it like death, as he should have. He nearly died. He's just He crawls away in absolute terror, and the Undertaker makes his way back up to the ramp. And Paul Bear sees him coming and says, you can do it. You can save me. The Undertaker nods and kneels, you know, and strikes that pose. And it's a salute, you know, to his friend, his father figure, Paul Bear. And, you know, thunder rumbles again and his music starts playing. And the commentary team is like, that's the way it should be. Like justice has been done today, you know, and. They don't know where the lightning came from, which is probably the funniest thing they did this entire match. (laughs) As he makes his way up the ring, Michael Cole is straight up like, I wonder where that lightning came from, though. That was crazy. What a coincidence. Like, he literally says that. He's like, well, it's fortunate that that happened. (laughs) I love it. I don't know. I don't know why you can't, you know, have him put two and two together like everyone else did and say, the Undertaker summoned a lightning bolt, right, of which course. I'm pretty sure is what happened. At any rate, you know, they're, they're so happy. Like, the show's done. He did it. You're right. He's going to rescue him and carry him like his bride-to-be off the stage. And this is a 
great little bit of camera work. As the music's playing, the camera is on Undertaker, and it pans around him, back around to the concrete truck, and you see Undertaker look at the switch and kind of cock his head. And the crowd, something shifts in the crowd a little bit. Like they can see the wheels turning. They get a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. And he walks up to Paul Bear and he walks up to the cement mixer. And he just looks at him. And Paul Bear says, you can do it. You're the only one who can save me. Save me, Undertaker. Save me, Undertaker. And his voice trails off like a cartoon. But it's no laughing matter because the Undertaker has taken hold of the lever. And he looks at Paul Bearer in the eye and says, I have no other choice. Rest in peace. Pulls the lever. Paul Bearer is flooded with concrete. Wait, what? Yeah. The crowd freaks out. Undertaker stalks off the stage. And the last thing we see as the credits roll... And the watermark, you know, shows up. Property of World Wrestling Entertainment 2004 is a glass crypt full to the brim with wet cement. Okay. And then the show's over. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he killed a man. Uh, yeah, of course. Straight yeah. up. Like, in a really, this wasn't like, oh, he fell off the roof. I don't know what happened <laughs> I would have loved to hear an additional 10 minutes of Bobby the Brain Heenan freaking out about this. There's nothing, because that's how the show ends. It fades to black on the image of the crypt filled with cement, and we're just done. There's no explanation. There's nothing. So. I'm speechless. I, I, was, I, I, was, gonna, I was wondering if you had anything else to say. At this point, if you're, you know, a child in 2004 <laughs> whose parents paid for this pay-per-view, you're probably pretty dang traumatized because this wasn't, again, this wasn't like a hokey, like, oh, he's been dragged under the ring into hell or pushed off a building. Right. No, this was like a mafia hit that you just saw play out in real life. And, and, a man it, was and, it's, not even, and it's not even like the Chamber of Horrors match where after he's electrocuted in the electric chair, he then staggers out. Like, like he's just been hit in the head with a rock. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, like, it is grim. It's a weird, dark place to end a pay-per-view. And at this point, the story kind of splits in a few different directions. Because if, you, if you're watching it live on pay-per-view that night, you're left with nothing. You have no answers. And if you're, you know, your child just watched this, you have to try to explain to them what just happened. And the company got a lot of complaints about this because I don't know if they were TVPG yet at this point. But at no, anyway, they were they not. Still, not at all. They still killed a guy like straight up, like to end the show in a really grisly fashion. And there were a lot of complaints that came in. And if you were a kid <laughs> watching this in 2004, you didn't know anything. You didn't know anything until, you know, you had to tune into SmackDown to find out what happened now. Slight spoiler here, if you were there live for the show, this is the point where after they go off the air, somebody in the production truck wakes up and is like, wait a second, we just filmed a man be killed on live television. We're probably liable for this in some way. Somebody go save him, which is what they should have done, you know, like a month ago. Right. But at this point, the, you know, they rally the troops and they run out there and 
they drag Paul Bearer out of the wet cement, which hasn't hardened yet, and they throw him on a stretcher, and they run him out of there. And he's, <laughs> you know, inhaled who knows how much cement and has drowned or suffered internal injuries. Somehow they get him out, and if you were there live, you at least see them haul his, I, I would have presumed his dead body out. But you see them recover something, and then you go home and, again, try to explain that one to your kids, right? So I, I didn't intend to do this, but after ending the show like that, I had to tune into the next night on SmackDown. <laughs> because, again, this is clearly a huge deal. Like, we closed the show with this. With a this death. The first, yeah. Did they not even was, mention this on Raw? I get what well, brand split. You yeah, know. but still. Well, it's it was a SmackDown only pay per view. It might as well have but not existed. But still, mm, I don't know. a man died, Harris. I don't know, man. You can't help the competition like that. This is Raw. We're the we're the A brand, baby. We we do way better death matches. Nobody ever dies on Raw. I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> All right, challenge accepted. <laughs> I'll find someone who died on Raw. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you will. So you would think I, I tuned in because I was just like, I have to hear. What happened next? Did Paul Bearer die? Does The Undertaker have anything to say for himself? You know, this this was the first thing we saw heading into this pay-per-view, and it's the last thing we saw. And surely they're going to address it right away. Well, no. Uh, the show <laughs> opens with the general manager, Kurt Angle, explaining, you know, something really important happened at the Great American Bash on Sunday night, and that's that Eddie Guerrero lost the WWE title to JBL. You're like, wait, hang on. No, stop. <laughs> where I become Bobby the Brain Heenan. And I'm like, I don't care about this anymore. <laughs> a man died. Get someone out there. How do we not know what's going me. on? Go outside you, the building. It's right around the yes. corner. <laughs> you owe me an explanation. I don't know what I just watched. But, you know, okay, well, maybe Kurt Angle has some personal vendetta here. And I'm sure the next thing we see will be, you know, The Undertaker coming out to the ring to explain himself. And, um... Nope, no, next is the, the next is what? The Basham Brothers? No, not quite. <laughs> Next is um, a triple threat match to determine a number weight contender for the United States title. Very important. Very important. Well, John Cena held the United States title at the time, so you true, know it true, was a big true. deal. But well, John Cena wasn't necessarily the biggest deal yet. No, no, no. But still, even even still, you know, you could kind of tell that they wanted him to be. So, <laughs> but still, a man died. <laughs> I, I, you know, at this point again, I'm assuming that I'm a kid who was watching SmackDown. He's and watching the pay per view like on television. He's dead. He's right. totally dead. Uh, then we have a cruiserweight segment <laughs> with Rey Mysterio, <laughs> and it's not a cruiserweight segment, but he's the cruiserweight champ at the time mm -hmm. in a match with uh, was it Mordecai, the the big pale guy with the cross symbol? Was that his name? Um, I didn't watch it. Oh, I wasn't paying that much attention shoot, because out. I was looking for an update on the man who died. <laughs> In the right. pay-per-view. So finally, at the 40-minute mark, <laughs> Michael Cole finds the time to look at the camera very seriously and say, ladies and gentlemen, if you joined us, you know that a horrific accident occurred or something. He uses a word like that, a horrific incident, I think, Okay, occurred where Paul Bearer was buried in cement and he was recovered and removed with severe internal injuries and... Uh, it is very likely that we'll never see him on SmackDown again. He was taken away. And um, I want to warn you, ladies and gentlemen, that the footage you're about to see is very graphic. And then they cut to the video package. 
and it's not. That's <laughs> that's the last thing I want to talk about in this angle because what what they did, and I just I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna break out of the storyline for a second here because what they did is they they tape. If you watch this live, there's this weird mm, what's the word? There's this weird disconnect where you see a lot of interaction with the Undertaker and Paul Heyman. Uh, Paul Heyman in the lever, the Dudleys in the lever, Undertaker in the lever, and you see a lot of reaction shots of Paul Bear. But I always thought there would be a moment where you see Undertaker look up at Paul Bearer and they acknowledge each other. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen. And I thought that was a little weird until I found out what actually happened. And what actually happened is they filmed all the stuff with Paul Bearer, with William Moody, beforehand in a, in a dry run, like a rehearsal. And then they spliced that with footage of the actual match. And the actual match was some dude in really bad Paul Bearer makeup as a stunt double in the tank. Okay. And once you once you realize that, in retrospect, it becomes painfully obvious to the point where <laughs> it's a completely different match. And every time they hard cut, you're like, oh, yep. And every once in a while, you'll see Paul Bearer over Paul Heyman's shoulder, and you're just like, that's not, no. <laughs> There's a reason they don't focus on him very much. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost passable, like watching live in 2004, but as soon as you know that, like upon a second viewing, it's very clear that that's what happened. So they actually filmed an entire rehearsal, like as their dry run, in an empty arena three hours before the match, like complete with Undertaker walking up the ramp pulling the lever that's where he actually does like interact with Paul Bear and you can see it but mm-hmm. the reason I say all of that is not to ruin the magic of the WWE although you know I do think it's interesting but to point out that I presented two options earlier either you're watching this pay-per-view live in person and you see them fish Paul Bearer's body out and maybe he's okay maybe he's not right or you're watching on television and you're pretty sure a man's dead and that's horrifying <laughs> The third option is, I don't know how exactly this worked, but if you had been in on the right like pay-per-view channel, the right slot, about two to three hours early, you would have seen this dress rehearsal live on your television Weird. because they accidentally broadcast it oh, in a lot of okay. TV markets. Weird. I do not know how this happened. I don't know if this is typical I don't know if somebody in the production truck just messed up. Well, I mean, think about how many times they're filming anything in in a dry run. I feel like they right. ha- they would have the whole thing set up to go for the broadcast. And so, oh, we have to film this ahead of time. They just use the setup they already had, not thinking about the broadcast element. That's the right. only thing I can think of. Exactly. But like I like they were just accidentally plugged in. And I would have I couldn't find more information about this. I wish I could have, but basically like they were just going and didn't think anything of it but in certain pay-per-view markets that was going out so theoretically there's some people out there who saw the end of this match (laughs) before it ever happened and there's footage (laughs) of it you can see undertaker walking around in an empty arena without his shirt on and like trying out different lines before he throws the switch it's pretty interesting to watch yeah all that being said basically what happened so um Paul Bearer shot this footage, left, flew out immediately, and watched the pay-per-view with his friends and family and, like, watched himself get (laughs) killed off, which is pretty awesome. That's awesome. That is pretty cool. 
in wrestling. I'd be like, hey, everyone, come over. Watch me die. Right, right. <laughs> so I, when I started doing this episode, I thought I was going to be able to say, and that was the end of Paul Bearer in WWE. It right. wasn't. He came back later <laughs> and suffered more abuse, I think, at the hands of Edge. I'm not super familiar with all of it. But they didn't. So he didn't even sell death like everyone else we've talked about in wrestling. In oh, the no. long run. No, de- no. We, death is a big no sell. Yeah. But, you know, he was at least out with internal injuries that Tuesday night. So when they cut <laughs> back to the footage, that, that was my whole point on top of all of this. When they say, look at this footage, it's even even in the highlighted, like, edited footage, you could tell he's not actually getting drowned in cement. There's sort of like a CG edit where you see the cement sort of rising above his head, but it's like a layer effect. It's not actually yeah. rising up. And then they cut back to Paul Heyman, and the story continues. You know, and Paul Heyman is like, that's right, you know, Undertaker has thrown away the last of his humanity, and think about how dangerous he is now, and then... Lightning strikes all four corners of the ring, and he drops to his knees in terror, and the Undertaker appears, and he says, you're right. That was my only weakness, and I had no choice because I had to get rid of it. I had to cut it out. And if I did that to Paul Bearer, the only person in the world I care about, imagine what I'll do to you. Okay, that's awesome. Paul Heyman's face is amazing. Mm-hmm. Heyman, you showed me that I had a weakness. And that weakness was Paul Bear. I had no other choice than to get rid of him. But if I would do that to the one person that mattered to me, the only living soul that I cared for, can you imagine what I'm going to do to you? And the crowd goes bananas because it okay. is awesome. Okay, all right, all right, hold on. That literally just made the entire angle worth it because that it is the best, that's the best thing I've ever heard from The Undertaker ever. It was, dude, Because everything this- makes sense. If you're not perfectly – if you're not super familiar with this angle and this match, go watch it and watch that clip from SmackDown the next night because that that was really what, what I thought watching all of this. Like this is insane. Everything about this is insane. Hey, and hold the on, crowd Harris. pops for The Undertaker who murdered a man from top to bottom like nobody ever tried to save him. None of this makes any sense in terms of like real wrestling. And it doesn't matter because this is all perfect character-driven storytelling. And that I it was awesome. Like this is one of I think the genuinely best like it's 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 insane. It's definitely a wild, wacky, and crazy wrestling moment. I think it's one of the best ones I've ever seen. And Undertaker does this better than anyone else, man, because on paper, like a buried alive match is dumb and stupid. And the gimmick itself is just insane and should never work. But this, like everything else, like The Undertaker himself, he makes it work because everyone involved in this knows their role and they play it to a T and they nail it. They knock it out of the park. Paul Heyman is amazing as just this total scumbag, but who seems like he would bury someone in cement. 
to get his client over. Like that seems like something that would happen. The Dudleys are just vicious. Like Bubba Ray does this so well. Like I said, you really believe he'd kill a guy like to get the upper hand in something like a wrestling business. Like, oh, of course. I, you absolutely believe that. The Undertaker plays it so straight and is so – the look in his face as they tell you, you know, this is his competitive fire. He won't lie down. He won't give up this match. Like that's real. And he sells it so well. And Paul Bearer, on top of everything else, just freaking out, but also completely trusting The Undertaker. And over and over throughout the match, you can hear him going, The Undertaker will save me. Mm -hmm. You'll see. He's the only one. He will save me. It's all done so well. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And even though it is, like, on paper, absolute insanity... That's the difference between this angle and a lot of the other angles we've talked about. They commit to it, and it works. Everything, like every time they pull the lever or put the lever back up in that match, it makes sense. Like they've thought through all of it. And the twist at the end is a great swerve because if you're, you know, not a smart mark, you never would have seen it coming, and it makes perfect sense. Like all great twists, you know, as soon as you watch it again, I, I watched this match twice. And the first time, you know, I kind of knew what was happening, but I didn't I didn't think much of it. The second time I watch it, you hear little things that they point out, like in the video hype package before the match. You hear Paul Heyman say, I found the Undertaker's weakness and it's his feelings for Paul Bearer. And you can tell now that that is rolling through the Undertaker's mind the entire match. And you can almost imagine the point where he realizes this is never going to happen to me again. I can't leave myself open to this ever again. And it may, it, it's perfect. It's just, it's a great story. It's as dumb as anything you'll ever see in wrestling, but it's also great. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, I was very, very impressed with it. And it was, it was fantastic. Like you said, that, that last line, I'm glad you identified that because that is really what puts it over the top. And the crowd knows it too. Paul Heyman sells it like pure death. The crowd loses their minds. And it's just, it's a great Undertaker moment. It really is. That is one of the best things I've ever heard. It's amazing. That was incredible. That's, that's why The Undertaker's the greatest, man, because he can pull stuff like that off in a way that nobody else could have, you know? You're, no, you're 100% right. I mean, that is, we've talked about it. That's one of the most ridiculous characters ever. It's it's no different than any, any of the other dumb early 90s WWE characters that were cartoon characters. Right. But because of Mark Calloway and his commitment to this character and just his, you know, unbelievable skill in, you know, in the first place, it, it, it's the most iconic character probably of all time as, as a character. You know, yeah. obviously there's Hulk Hogan, there's Stone Cold, and I get their characters, but as a true character, there's none on the level of The Undertaker. Yeah. And, and there I never mean, will be. When you, when you pair that talent and that charisma with a, a wrestling mind as good as Paul Heyman's and players as committed and as talented as the Dudley boys, it's it's some fantastic stuff. Oh, yeah. That was, That's uh, all I got. That was great. So, yeah, another solid episode there from Harris. And now it is time for our segment, What is Up with David Arquette? <laughs>
And uh, so, unfortunately for David Arquette, there's not a whole lot. Or not not, unfor- <laughs> not unfortunately for him. Unfortunately for us, right. there's not a whole well, lot to talk about. Maybe he had a about. nice week. I'm sure he did. Oh, I'm, I hope so. I hope you did, David. Um, I know he's been doing a lot of stuff movie-wise lately, so he hasn't really been doing wrestling stuff, except that one we talked about last week during the Super Bowl, um, the run, and he did in, in, uh, in Canton, Georgia. But lately what he's really been doing is just promoting different movies. Uh, I know that. I know he was at Sundance and he's been at, a, I think, a couple other movie festivals. Because I know he has a movie, I believe it's called Mope, coming out. About huh. It's not a movie that I'm going to see. Um, <laughs> it, it's oh, it's about like two guys who became infamous porn stars or something. Um, and he, he plays... I don't even remember what character he plays. I'm sorry. But um, he plays something in that. And then there's some other movie on Vice that just came out, like on the Vice app or channel or something. And he plays like an old cop in it. And that, this apparently, I think that was shot like a year, like a couple years ago or something. Because it's before he got all uh, beefed up for wrestling, which is kind of funny uh, to see. But I know, I know he's been doing some stuff like that as of late. So, unfortunately... Not a whole lot to update with uh, with David Arquette, but we, we got to use it because we got to use that uh, that entrance song each time because that yeah, has that absolutely. has to that has to be that's worth it in and of itself. So I uh, agree, I agree. I think uh, so. Everyone just go watch Eight Legged Freaks again then. In the meantime, yeah, or uh, I don't know some other movie that he's done. Oh heck, watch Scream. Scream's a great movie. Yeah, or Bone Tomahawk. He's getting that too. Anyway, Your discretion advised on that. Uh, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be careful with that one. But um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, that'll that'll do it for this episode. Um, we talked a little bit longer at the beginning, but um, you know, we we rant, and to be honest, it, I might I might cut some of it out. So if it actually wasn't that long, and you don't know what we're talking about, well, that's why. So and you're uh, welcome. We've covered all our bases, um, no matter how I cut the episode. But um, so uh, make sure and go follow us on Twitter at behind underscore gorilla. We follow back all wrestling fans, so. Please go ahead and do that and send us any uh, comments or questions that you have about the episode or anything you want us to talk about. Send us send us episode suggestions. Last week, um, the Undertaker vs. Undertaker episode was a, t- a suggestion from from a listener and a follower on Twitter. So we definitely will uh, take, a li- take a look at those and probably more often than not put them in the list and... Uh, and, and, and do episodes on them. So, so we're always looking for that. Uh, give us a review on iTunes. Um, give us a rating and a review. And just, just compare it to a wrestling match. That's all That's all we really ask. So if, you know, if we were like Undertaker versus Undertaker, that terrible match from last week, and you're like, this podcast is awful, then just, you know, you can give us a one star and tell us how bad we are. That's, that's fine. Or if you think, you know, we're Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24, then give us five stars. You know, we're, we're open. We're open to either. That's for sure. You can follow Boy, me. That's on... a great match. It Sorry, is a great match. I just it cut you off match. at the knees. That's one of my favorite <laughs> matches, like straight up. Oh no, it's it's one of the best ones for sure. That is uh, that's good. And um, actually, speaking of that match, next week I've already decided what I'm going to do my episode on. So, uh, just, it my my episode next week will involve one of those two uh, people. I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. That, that's the okay. tease. That's the tease from next week. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark Mark Brand. And I'm at Harris Wilson. So uh, you can go ahead and do that. And then the last little bit, you can check out my other podcast, um, The Uncaped Crusaders Review, where me and my friend Ian watch and discuss every Batman movie ever. So you can check that out. Uh, You can find it anywhere you get podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Uncaped Review. 
as well. So I think I uh, covered all the bases there. Trying to wrap Did things up because uh, we went a little bit longer. We always do that. Whenever it's always like, oh, we got a short topping. It's always like yeah. 20 minutes extra, but that's fine. Well, it's so, always it's always one of we're we're overcorrecting a little bit because true. we know we have a lot of time. That's to play a good with. point. That is a good point. You might. And if be we come in with like six months worth of angles, we're like, all right, we got to move. <laughs> but when it's just one night and one match to really sink your teeth into, it's true. You don't want to give the people a thirty-minute-long episode where no. we talk about elimination chamber for twenty minutes. No, we don't. We don't. So that is fair. But anyway, that'll do it for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode. Again, I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. And have a great week.